0: Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Everyone. Welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. And today I've invited John Burke to come on the show to talk about a fascinating topic that I think you're going to find super interesting. John is a best selling author and an expert in the field of NDE, near death experiences, which you may have heard that's been such a trending topic lately. So, Um, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to John about the content of his new book and about heaven and all things about the God of heaven. So, John, welcome to the show. And can you share with the audience just a little bit more about you and yourself and the work that you do?
1: Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on, Rachel. Appreciate it. Yeah. I came to faith out of a skeptical, agnostic background. I had decided that Jesus was just a legend and God, who knows if there even was a God. I studied engineering and I worked as an engineer. So I've always been very analytical and, you know, how do you know, kind of always asking that question. And it was actually when my dad got cancer, someone gave him the very first research on what's now called near-death experience when people clinically die. Their heart stops beating. They have no brain waves, some for minutes, some for hours. And yet they are resuscitated either by modern medicine or quite honestly, I think, miracle many times i think it's god just raising up these witnesses but i'm reading this and i said oh my gosh could this actually be evidence that this whole god afterlife stuff is real and it opened my mind to start seeking god because i'd i'd gotten pretty close like nobody could answer my questions and then you know i was actually invited into a small group bible study not long after that, and I started asking the question, I started reading the scriptures and really studying them. And, and I came to faith in Jesus actually for very different reasons than NDEs, though in, in this new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, I put some of those in there. Some of the, the ways that God has historically been making it very clear who he is and how we can know that he is the God of all nations. And, uh, and that really convinced me that, okay, this God is real. And I, and I gave my heart to him. And, um, I was always curious, like, okay, so what are these near death experiences and how do they relate to the scriptures? Because I've, I've always loved the scriptures. I've loved, I've loved studying it. I went from a career in engineering into, um, ministry first as a, as a missionary. And then my wife and I started a church 25 years ago, really for skeptics like myself. And I've seen thousands and thousands of people come to faith out of very skeptical places and backgrounds. So that's really my heart. And um, after it was it was over thirty five years of of studying and researching thousands of these near death experiences. I wrote Imagine Heaven in twenty fifteen, and I'd written other books that were really more focused on on the culture of the church and things like that. But I felt like God finally said, okay, you know that that kind of compulsion you've had your whole life to try to understand this? It's time to ride on it. And I had spoken on it. I I actually did an apologetic kind of talk at the University of California, Santa Barbara in 1989 on how near-death experiences, what they're commonly saying, how they relate to what the Bible's been teaching about the life to come. But it didn't feel like I was ready to ride on it until 2015. And then I I did feel like I got the the go ahead, and I did. Here we are, eight years later, and uh, I actually I actually quit writing after that. That was my I think fifth book, and I quit writing because the Lord had very clearly, you know, you 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 talk about hearing the voice of God, and I'd been I write about that actually in in some of the latter chapters of Imagine the God of Heaven, because He had very clearly led me to to start Gateway, the the church we started in Austin, Texas. And I hadn't necessarily felt like I was called to be an author. That was something I did to help the the mission of Gateway. So I said, you know, Lord, you called me very clearly to be a pastor. I'm gonna do that. It's too hard to do both, as you as you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I just hit pause. I said, you know, unless you tell me otherwise. And Rachel then in COVID, he very clearly told me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And um and so just this May I actually transitioned from into a founding pastor role at the church that we planted and he told me to write again and very clearly to write about him. Mm. And so imagine the God of heaven is really a book about God. It's a comprehensive book looking at the the story of God, the arc, the meta narrative of God told throughout the Bible. You know, many people don't realize this, but It's a great love story. It's the greatest love story of God who is in love with the nations, with the people he created in all nations. It starts with relationship in Genesis 1, relationship rejected in Genesis 3. In Genesis 12, God comes up with a plan. And he raises up Abraham and Sarah and he says, I'm going to make you into a nation and you're going to bless all the nations. And then you see the nations spoken to over 500 times throughout You know, the Old Testament prophets, Jesus comes and he lays down his life for all the nations. And he says, tell this message to all the nations that there's forgiveness offered in my name. And then John sees, you know, in, in Revelation seven, he sees every nation and tribe and tongue and language gathered around the throne, worshiping God. And then the whole thing ends with a great wedding. Mm -hmm. It's this. And and I think when we miss that big meta story, we miss what God is doing and, and we miss why he's doing some of the things he's doing along the way. Yeah, that's
0: powerful. And, you know, I think people, especially now in the last couple of months, people are in this place of really taking stock of what they're placing their hope in and they're looking for something they can grasp onto. And I think. One of the things that's been surprising to me is, yes, while we have historical rates of anxiety and depression, especially in young people, we also have historical rates of people coming to faith in Christ for the first time. Yeah. And that's exciting to me as somebody that's in ministry. And I think it's evidenced by this fact that people are recognizing that, that there is something more to the story. There is something that they, they know there's more than what they know and they're looking for evidence of that. And so I think your book is just such good timing for that because it gives them something concrete to hold on to. And it's not that they can't with scripture, but I think sometimes we tend to take scripture for granted in the sense of, you know, it's part of the reason why we have the show that that I have. It's we're helping people to understand how is this relevant to my everyday life? But I also think that, you know, if I think back the trajectory of my own life, There have been times, specific times, where I needed something just a little bit more. Like when I lost, kind of like what happened with your dad, when I lost somebody that was close to me, even though I'm a believer, even though I believe in Jesus, even though I believe in the Holy Spirit in heaven, I found myself like going to sleep, listening to YouTube videos about people's near-death experiences because it gave me something concrete to hold on to that was easing that pain of losing somebody that I loved. And so I love that aspect just because we know that God is a God of love and peace. And you talk about how he's a God of love and light. And I think when people are hurting, that is a message that God uses to just permeate their their soul and get them to a place of, of healing. And so I love that aspect of this book that it does give us something for those skeptics that are like, you know, the people that you feel called to minister to, especially something for the the skeptics to even answer some of those lingering questions that they have. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of discuss is in the book, you talk about 10 points of evidence for life after death. And, you know, you studied more than a thousand of these. And so I wonder if you can kind of just touch base on that on a few of those. And what were some of the things that you saw that really made you stop and take pause and say, okay, there's something, there's something more here. There's something that we need to pay attention to. And then also how those lined up with scripture and the God of the Bible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that really is my passion is to show, you know, in this new book, imagine the God of heaven. I have 70 people I've interviewed from all over the world but it's really, it is a Bible study. If you go through it, like there's a ton of scripture. It's a theology of God, you know, all the attributes of God, the heart of God, and you see it in the scripture. But when you hear them talk about what that's like, you know, what I think it does and what I think it, it will do for believers, not, not just non-believers, but even more so believers is it breaks open the box we have God in. You know, we're, we're finite people. So we all have these walls that we kind of keep God in nice and safe where where he fits in our understanding. Well, if God fits in our understanding, he's not God. <laughs> there, there is more to him than our three dimensional minds can can grasp. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do in the book is both expand people's understanding to realize God is far more mysterious and beautiful. We don't often use that word beautiful and majestic and you know sovereign all those omnipresent omniscient all those big bible words but what do they mean what does that look like so that it moves your heart to trust him more Mm -hmm. but then on the other side of the box is a lot of people don't realize how relatable god is like how personable he's actually a fun person to be with and that he's always with you and to understand that makes you just fall in love with them and go, why would I hold anything back? But I'm, you know, I had to first be convinced that we ought to even pay attention to these near-death experiences, like you said. And and yes, there are always people throwing out alternate explanations. So in chapter two, of imagine the God of heaven. I, I go through the 10 points of evidence that could not only convince me, but convince a lot of skeptical medical doctors mm. that this is, a, this is real. What's happening? And the first point is that when people, when they die, they say they leave their bodies, but they still have a spiritual body, just like Paul talks about, which by the way, side note, I think Paul may have had a near-death experience. Lystra, uh, Acts chapter 14, he's stoned to death and dragged out of the city and left for dead when the believers circle around him and pray for him. And suddenly he gets up and he goes back into the city and starts Preaching again, which I wouldn't do if they just piled stones on me, but he did. And then he says in second Corinthians 12, 14 years ago, whether in my body or out of my body, I'm not sure, but I was taken up to heaven and I heard and saw things inexpressible. Mm -hmm. So maybe that 14 years ago was that time in Lystra, you know, we're not sure, but he talks about these very things that near death experiencers talk about they're out of their body but they still have a spiritual body and then paul talks about that in first corinthians 15 and in this body they feel more alive than they ever have not with 5 senses more like 50 senses they feel like super alive mm-hmm. it, so it's not it's not life to death it's life to super life and they talk about that and then but but initially they're above their body and they're seeing their resuscitation they're seeing what's happening in the room and when they come back they're able to report verifiable observations. In other words, things they shouldn't have been able to see because they were—they had no heartbeat or brainwaves. They were comatose. They were out. They were gone. And yet they report what was going on in the room from a perspective up above. And there have been actual studies done. A lot of people don't realize, but millions of people have had near-death experiences. That's why it's so important for Christians to speak into it, which is what I'm trying to do. Biblically connect the the dots because, you know, millions all around the globe. Gallup poll found one out of 25 Americans. That's 13 million Americans has had a near-death experience. Wow. So there have been a lot of studies done as well. One study looked at verifiable observations of people having near-death experiences, found that 92% of the observations that, that could be checked out were completely accurate, another 6%. You know, each person might make 10 observations or so, had some details missing. Only 2% were inaccurate. Turned out that was one patient. It was just inaccurate. Mm. And so the verifiable observations is really what got my attention. But that's just one of 10 points. And I won't go through all of them. But another one is, you know, all around the globe and in Imagine the God of Heaven, I interview people from every continent. And they report the same overlapping experiences. And yet they're somewhat unique as well. So when you think about thirty-two percent will have a life review in the presence of this god of light and love. 57% will encounter deceased relatives who come to meet them and it's this great reunion. And so they overlap with varying percentages. So if it's just a blip in the brain. Or just some—it's not—it's definitely not a drug-induced hallucination, like because whether people have drugs in the hospital or not doesn't indicate whether they have an NDE at all. So there've been studies done showing that. But you know why would why if it's just a blip in the brain at death or endorphins flooding your mind, why wouldn't a hundred percent have a life review? It's just a brain thing, mm-hmm. right? Why only thirty-two percent? And, you know, when you look at, at um, testimony in a court of law, if you have 10 eyewitnesses to something that happened and they all say exactly the same thing, that's collusion. You throw that testimony out, they talk. But if they say overlapping things from unique perspectives, that's the strongest testimony. And that's actually what we have with near-death experiences. And then you have blind people, blind from birth, who when they have this clinical death, they can see and they report all the same things as sighted people. Wow. Like Debbie in, in the book, Imagine the God of Heaven, I report on on Debbie, who was blind. She drops on the floor of her bathroom and is gone. She was, she was dead for minutes. Her mom rushes in uh, when she hears that. And Debbie is up above and is later able to report to her mom what her mom looked like, but also what she was wearing. And she said, you were wearing a robe and it was dark color. And she said, yeah, it was my black bathrobe. And she couldn't specify the color, but she knew it was a dark color. And then Debbie travels to this beautiful heavenly place where she's greeted by her grandmother, who she had never met her grandmother. Because her grandmother had died when she was just, you know, an infant. And yet she meets her grandmother, and when she comes back, she's able to describe what her grandmother looked like. Her mother said, yes, that's that's right, but that's what she looked like when she was like 30. But that's a commonality of near-death experiencers. Many times when they see their deceased loved ones, people are around 30. They're like in their prime. And so you see these things, and and others who also, on the other side, have met those who were deceased, but... They shouldn't have known because they hadn't met them like children who have a near-death experience and they meet their siblings on the other side that they didn't even know they had. And when they come back, they tell their mom or dad, I met my brother or I met my sister and you're like, you don't, you don't have a brother or sister. And then they, aha, oh, we had a miscarriage, but we never told you about that. And so you have all these points of evidence and one of the biggest ones And why I wrote Imagine the God of Heaven is that 48% of people having near-death experiences experience experience the same God of light, of light that is brighter than the sun, they say, by a thousand times, but not hard to look at, mesmerizing to look at. And there is a love that they experience in the presence of of this God that our word love just doesn't do justice to like every relationship you can imagine the deepest love you can imagine it just blows it away times a thousand and this god is not an impersonal force but personal and in his presence many get a life review and they're told you must go back you still have a purpose on earth many know he's Jesus some and i have i have stories of people in imagine the god of heaven who knew nothing about the triune God. And yet that's who they describe. Wow. It's phenomenal. And so again, why would 48% of people have this experience of God? If it's just in the brain, it's just a death thing that all humans go through. Why wouldn't all, and then even then why would, and you know, I have, I have people from Hindu backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds and Jewish backgrounds and, and, Buddhist backgrounds, and even non-Christian backgrounds and Christians, and yet they don't experience the gods or nothing like they expected, they encounter the same God of light and love. Why? If this is just a blip in the brain or it's some kind of chemical reaction.
0: Do they ever have the opposite kind of experience, like a hell type experience? I mean, have you heard some of those kinds of alternate kinds of stories?
1: yes and in my first book imagine the god of heaven i have a whole chapter actually those who come forward reporting near-death experiences 23 percent had hellish experiences and came forward there are many who don't come forward and when i've interviewed them they tell me it's it's also, so you have to understand what they commonly say is this experience is more real than anything they've ever experienced on this earth. What does that mean? <laughs> how can you, how can something be more real and more real in a wonderful way, but also more real in a horrific way, depending on what that experience is. And so, yes, in imagine the God of heaven, I, I, I go into a whole chapter But you know, interestingly, Rachel, when God brought me these stories, these 70 stories in Imagine the God of Heaven, many of them experienced both. Mm. First, they did see a vision of this hellish place. They cried out to God in repentance and they were rescued by Him and also saw this heavenly place. Now, I think it's really important to, to note for especially students of the Bible. One of the things that took me a long time to write is, you know, there, there's some places in scripture like Hebrews 9, 27, which says it's a, then comes the judgment. And so I was always like, okay, well, how do you reconcile this? What, what are these near death experiences? And it took me studying it long enough to see that one, commonality that people have is they in this experience come to a border or a boundary they knew they couldn't cross over and still come back to earth in some cases in in imagine the god of heaven this new book jesus tells them you know do you want to go on or do you want to go back or he says to them you haven't died yet you you need to go back you still have a purpose on earth yet they had died they had no brain waves so by our definition of death, they were clinically dead, but they weren't eternally dead or eternally alive. And so it's something in between. You know, it, it talks about in, in Revelation 20, the second death, right? So so that is something that happens after, I believe we we cross over. I think these are helping us see maybe the nuances of this process of death that we don't fully understand right i also think that's why people can still cry out to god and he rescues them mm-hmm. because i don't think once they cross over you know jesus said there's a great chasm and you don't you don't cross over and that our decisions here on this earth our choices really do matter and that they're eternal and so i i don't think once people do cross over that border or boundary they can still necessarily cry out to God and be rescued. But I do see that he gives them every, every opportunity because they're meant to be his children. Yeah, And so, you know, I I have, I have stories in imagine the God of heaven that I think is the most amazing one global evidence of the reality of the God of the Bible. But two, it shows you the heart of God for every person. Mm -hmm. You know, Santosh Akarchi is a, Was a Hindu, grew up in India, manufacturing engineer, very smart guy. He hears code blue when he's in the hospital. His his pancreas or his gallbladder erupted into his pancreas. He's up above his body. He's He he says, I thought there would just be nothing or maybe you come back as another life form. He said, but that didn't happen. This brilliant god of light comes to him. He said, I knew this was a divine light. I knew this was the ultimate authority. I had to obey this light. He said, but I fell in love with this light. And then, you know, I won't tell the whole story. You can read it. It's fascinating. But God takes him to this place and he's looking out over what he described to me as this giant compound. It's, it, it was a city, but it was like this giant walled compound in India. My church helped build it a hospital in India. So there are these walled compounds everywhere. So it looks like that to him. But he said, on the other side, you can see for thousands of miles. That's a commonality I write about as well. Which, interestingly, John also talks about in Revelation 21. Because think about it. He's up on a very high mountain, he said. The Spirit takes him to the very high mountain. He's looking over this holy city of God, and he reads the names on the foundation stones. How? He has this telescopic vision same thing that near-death experiencers talk about. And so Santosh is talking about how he can see this giant city and inside these magnificent buildings he calls them mansions and buildings of otherworldly building material and it's so serene. He said just gorgeous and the people and it feels so peaceful. He wants to go in and he looks and he he sees and he said I counted there were 12 gates all around and the city was in a large square shaped and then he noticed outside the gates, angels, and he realized, I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. And he wants to go in, and then he looks down to his left, and he sees an abyss, an outer darkness, and he describes exactly a a, a hellish place like Jesus described, and and he realizes, I don't want to go there, I want to go in here, and then he turns and looks and he says, I see the Almighty on a throne. And so now God appears not as this giant light, but as this man, but he looks up into the eyes of this man on this throne. And he says, his eyes were like light. Well, he's describing the risen Jesus. He's describing what Daniel saw, you know, by the river in Daniel seven. And then John and John in revelation chapter one. And he knows when he looks into the almighty's eyes, he gets a life review and he realizes I deserve that place. And he starts, he falls on his knees and he says, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And then when, when God speaks to him, he has such tenderness and love and compassion. It confuses Santosh. And he says, I'm going to send you back. And when I do, you must love your family and especially your daughter. She needs your help right now. Now think about that. Like here's someone who he doesn't know God, but God knows him and even his daughter and even what his daughter needs. And he cares. That's the heart of God for every human. And long story short, Santosh sees a very, he calls it a narrow gate right next to the throne open to him. And he says, he gets bold and he says, Lord, when I come back, I want to go through that narrow gate. I want to go into your kingdom, into that narrow gate. He comes back to earth. He starts seeking God with all his heart. And he's like, who was this God? This is not the gods I learned of. Who was this God of love and compassion and mercy? Why was he merciful to me? I deserve that. I knew it. And yet he gave me mercy and compassion. And his daughter gets invited to a church to sing. She was a choral major and Santosh and his wife go to hear it. And he experiences the same love of the presence of that God. And the message that day was on the narrow gate Mm. and how Jesus in in Matthew, I think it's Matthew seven and then John chapter 10, how Jesus is the gate through which the sheep enter in the kingdom of heaven. He goes back and he reads the Bible. He's like, everything I experienced is in this book. Now that's just one of 70 stories like that. Bibi, a Muslim related to the prophet Muhammad in Tehran sees in her, when she has a heart attack, sees that same, describes that same almighty God that Santosh did. But he says to her, I am he who is. Well, that's what God said to Moses when he appeared as this brilliant light on Mount Sinai in a bush that didn't burn the bush, right? Yeah. And so you see that, I mean, Swadeek. In Rwanda as well, Jesus rescues him from this hellish experience. And he says he, he this, this man of light comes into this room and rescues him, and he had holes in his hands, and he had a beard and a, and a white robe, but the robe was just exploding with light brighter than the sun that just pierced through his eyes. And he said to him, I died for mankind. You're among those I died for. Never deny it. And tell it to everyone. Well, Swadeek today is an Anglican priest, and he's had seven attempts on his life because wow. he will not shut up about Jesus. And so I have people like that all over the globe testifying to this very same God who is appearing to them. And as you read about about this, this God, you start to see what the Bible has been telling us all along. And not only his love for all nations, you know, that goes all the way back to the Genesis 12, but also his character, his attributes. And you see these things that we read in black and white in scripture, but you see them with color on them because you're, you're hearing about them through the eyes of these 70 people who have been in his presence.
0: I love that so much. And I, I feel like those examples help to flesh out. What we read in Scripture in a way that is so relevant and so easy to digest that that people can't help but, but walk away with a sense of hope and a better understanding of who God is—the God that loves them. I, I think as we finish up, I, I want to ask you if you would pray for our audience because I'm sure there are people that are sitting here thinking, "Okay, I need this confidence of who God is," and I. You know, I I believe this, I am on the fringe of it, but there's still a sense of maybe some skepticism there. And because you have a heart for those that are skeptics and you were once a skeptic yourself, I, I would ask that maybe you would pray for those that are in that place. But before you pray, I think the final question I want to ask you is, what is your hope for this book? Like, what is your hope that readers will take away as they read this book and they themselves imagine who the God of heaven is?
1: Well, you know, how you think about God when you think about him, is the most important thing you think about. And, uh, I, my prayer is really that people fall in love with God and trust him with everything and learn to walk with him. You know, my favorite part of the book, you know, we go from, we just ta- touched on part one, which is really about the God of all nations, but then we go into the love of God and the compassion and the mercy. And the justice of God, of how his love met his justice, and how he's working out a hidden justice. And then all the mystery and majesty of God in, in part two, you're looking at people experiencing the Trinity, and how the Trinity is not confusing in heaven. It's It makes perfect sense. But my favorite part of the book that I hope people will get to is, is part four, which is doing life with the God of joy. Mm. And in that chapter, I actually talk about I talk about hearing the voice of God because these near death experiencers in Jesus' presence, they're walking with Jesus in heaven and describing the the wonders of it, but also the intimacy with Jesus. They feel his hug. He, they feel his beard on their face, and they and and in his presence they constantly say, you know, I, I know it wasn't true, but I felt like I was his only kid. Like I was the only one he, he loved and he loved and his love was growing for me. But then like Randy, the CEO I interviewed, he said, I realized in heaven that Jesus was there walking with me and I saw the father. And even though Jesus never left my side, I also saw Jesus with the father on his throne, but he realized the Holy Spirit was actually his most intimate companion. And he said, I realize the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time. He said, I didn't realize this. He was a Christian before this experience. He said, I didn't realize this before, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time, but we're not necessarily attuned to listening. And so in the book, I talk about my own experience of of learning to listen to the voice of God and that you hear when you act faith is what's required for learning to hear. You know, Jesus many times said, whoever has ears to hear let let him hear what the spirit says. Mm-hmm. We all have ears. But what he's talking about is a heart, a yeah. spiritual the, the ears of our heart that's willing. When we're willing, we hear more. And so I talk about that because I think the point is not just to wait for heaven, but to experience this God who is with us all the time, and he is the God of joy. And you know, it's interesting, Rachel, I went back to all my seminary, I studied systematic, my master's in systematic theology. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show a systematic theology of the scriptures, but illustrated the eyes of these 70 people. And you know one thing that theologians almost never talk about? I didn't find it in one of my seminary textbooks. The joy of God. Yeah. They forget that is an attribute of God. You know, he is the God who declared seven festivals each year for Israel to come together. And he said, and rejoice together and celebrate in my presence. Well, how often do we think that God enjoys us enjoying the life he gave us just like I enjoy my little granddaughters when, when I get to do life with them and he is the, the God of all joy. C S Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Well, that's what Indie ears consistently say and you see it and and you see how, you know, as his children, joy is actually our birthright. And I talk about that. Like he actually wants us to experience a joy that's not dependent on the circumstances of our lives. That's what Jesus was saying this last night on earth. He said, you know, abide in me, stay connected to me, just like a vine, like a branch does to a vine and, and fruit will grow naturally. Good fruit. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy will overflow. And so we talk about that in the last section of the book, how, as we walk with God in this constant state of prayer, but it's a it's an ongoing conversation. And every prayer in heaven, these people saw their prayers and the prayers of others and that angels are recording our every prayer, every prayer of the heart. But prayer is meant to be just this ongoing conversation with God so that we experience life with him and we experience his joy now. Because what's ahead, what our eternity is going to be, is a joy that, you know, it's, it's really the joy and it's really the love that you've always wanted.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. Well, thank you, John, so much for um, just sharing even just the tip of the iceberg. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to listeners getting a hold of your book and just reading more about this. Can you share? As we close, and I, and I do want to have you pray, but first, can you share where readers can get a hold of this book, how they can follow you, how they can learn more about your work and, and, and the other things you've written, too?
1: Yeah. The book's available anywhere. Anywhere books are sold. You can go to imaginethegodofheaven.com. So the name of the book, imaginethegodofheaven.com, and see more about it. John com is also my website with other books and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, I would love to pray and pray that for all of us, that our, our view of God gets expanded.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you want to go ahead and pray for our audience now as we close
1: out? Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, which that word doesn't even come close. And God, I thank you that all around the globe, you are raising up testimonies to you. Even as evil raises its ugly head more and more in our day, I believe you are showing witness to yourself more and more all around the globe. And God, thank you that you are the God who sees us. Every single person listening to this. I pray that as they read this book, they'll see that you see them. You get them. There's no one who understands more because you've been with them through everything. All the difficulties, all the pains. And you are going to make it all good because you, you say that Lord. And so God, I pray that we would, we would just love you more and trust you more as we see more and more of who you are. And we stretch our imaginations to see that you are the one we've always wanted. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. John, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll be praying for this whole next season of transition that the Lord would continue to bless you as he gets this message out.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, friends. As we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things, we hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids' show, every day I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to SheHears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you wanna teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly.